You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. We are starting a new series, starting a new book in the Bible. We're going to go through the book of Hosea. I can't tell you why God put Hosea on my heart. I just know it was a word that came out of my mouth when I asked the Lord, what should I study? And Hosea was the word, and we're just going to keep with it. So we're studying the book of Hosea today. Now, I will just give us some caution in here. There are some strong words in the book of Hosea. There is some maturity needed to read this. And so if you have young children in here, just know that we're going to say some words that you may have to explain later, but that won't be my job. That that will be your job, and I would say good luck to you on those things. So we are going to be in Hosea chapter 1. We're going to look at uh, chapter 1 specifically today, and, and, uh, and then we will move forward from there. So all of chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, you're welcome to join us in your Bibles. It'll be on the screen. Your phone is also available to be used here as well. So let's get our eyes on Scripture so we know and agree what the Word is saying here. Hosea 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, the son of Beriah, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom for forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy. For I will have no mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah. And I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horse or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. And the Lord said, call his name, not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint for themselves one head. And they shall go up from the land, for great shall be the days of Jezreel. Let's pray. 
Lord, we just come before you today, and we thank you that we can be here today. We thank you that we can gather as you're faithful to come together to worship you and to, to be devoted to your word. And so, Lord, will you increase our gratitude for just being here together, the saints of God in one building. We thank you for that. We thank you for you and your grace and your mercy and the way that it extends to us, Lord. Your love for us is without our comprehension. And Lord, we ask for you to forgive us for the ways that we haven't honored you, haven't glorified you in our life, the way that we haven't brought your name honor in the way that we've handled our business. And Lord, we ask that you would just use this word for our good. We believe it to be good, right, and meaningful. It is the word of God, the inspired word of God. Use it to convict us and guide us. Use it to bring gladness and amplify our worship. And so we submit ourselves and humble ourselves under it today. And we pray this in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. So Jose is a prophet, if you didn't know, who lived uh, right around 700 B.C. And so that's 300 years after King David, who's known as the greatest king that's ever served in that role in the, in, uh, of the Hebrew nation. Uh, and a lot has happened in those 300 years. Lots have happened. 40 years after King David died, And after the subsequent death of his son Solomon, the nation spiraled out of control and split into two different kingdoms. And the split was not surprisingly over taxation, if you believe that. A man named Jeroboam had rebelled against Solomon when he was king. And out of fear of retribution, Jeroboam exiled to Egypt. He exiled to Egypt And he stayed there until Solomon died. And he returned when the next king in line, Rehoboam, was about to take over. And he demanded from Rehoboam a lighter tax burden, which eventually divided the nation into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom retained the name Israel, and the southern kingdom became known as Judah. The northern kingdom was led by Jeroboam. The southern kingdom was led by Rehoboam. And so Hosea lived under four different kings of the southern kingdom. He lived in flesh while the four kings, uh, four kings in Judea, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah. And without exception, uh, most of these kings in the southern kingdom were obedient and faithful to the Lord. They worshiped God in the best ways that they could. Hosea, though, lived in the northern kingdom And during his life, there were two kings. There were Joash and Jeroboam II, not the first, second, Jeroboam II. And outside of those two and uh, a man named Jehu, who actually gets into lots of trouble, they were the only decent kings of the northern kingdom. Everyone else was just terrible. Before and after these three kings, they were just terrible. And so Hosea's prophetic word will bring to light what awaits God's people in their future because of their disobedience and rebellion. And it's not good. It is not good to say the least. Hosea will warn the kingdom, the northern kingdom, of a turbulent time in front of them that will ultimately result in them being conquered and destroyed by the Assyrians. And your history book would record that in 722 BC. And so this is the... Um, the, the proverbial dam is about to break. And Hosea is going to warn God's people and educate them 
uh, with what God is ultimately about to do and what he will do with his people. And so just as a precursor, as we enter into this book of Hosea, I, I would just note that as we study a book like Hosea, I think that we need to come to an understanding that we're not going to read a book like this and we're, gonna not, we're not going to walk away with one particular big idea. We're not going to walk here uh, away from here today and have uh, practical steps to better living. But when we come to a book like Hosea or any scripture, what we have to understand is it is about increasing our knowledge uh, of the Son of God, uh, the knowledge that we have of God. As Ephesians says to us, that we would increase our knowledge of the Son of God. Why? So that we would not be tossed to and fro by every wave that we wouldn't be tossed to and fro, carried away by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And so our prayer, my prayer, is that God would use this inspired text to reveal to us more of who he is, more of what he's like, more of what he's done, so that in our lives we might have greater worship in our hearts, in our life, because of that. And so what do we know about Hosea? Well, in the very beginning here, we understand that God wants to communicate to the nation of Israel through Hosea as a mouthpiece, but not simply as a mouthpiece. He wants to illustrate his message through the life of Hosea. Hosea himself serves as God's illustration here. What God will do through Hosea, he will first do in Hosea. And so he's this prophet, which means that he was chosen by God and no one else. Like there was no human prophet council that said, all right, you you seem like a prophet. I'm going to make you, that's your title. No, he didn't give it himself. God picked Hosea to speak through, to convey to the nation his truth. Often prophets were seen as seers, people who could forecast the future for people to understand. They would also warn the nation of judgment impending on them or warn them of destruction in their future. They would also call God's people towards greater obedience to the law. And mostly, they would live out the attributes of God that the world might know more of who he is. And so there isn't a whole lot of backstory on Hosea. We don't know much about where he lived, how he was raised, but because he's a prophet, we can know a number of things. We know that he has a pretty good reputation if he's going to be a prophet. Most all prophets in the Old Testament were men and women with a plethora of character and virtue. Hosea isn't like Paul where he led this rebellious life and God all of a sudden picked to choose him and and to work through him. No, Hosea would have been devoted to the Lord since the days of his youth. He would have been a student of the law. He would have been involved with religious life around the temple. He would have been in the same groups of people that would become priest someday. He would become a prophet. The difference between priest and prophets are the direction of the message. And so priest would stand in front of God representing the people of God. Hosea stands in front of the people of God, representing God himself. And so at minimum, we know that Hosea is virtuous, that he's devoted, he's dutiful, and he's eager to serve the Lord. But we also know that he's young. Because in that day, in the Hebrew world, in the 700 BCs, 
one would be married around the age of 13 or 14. And I know that that's shocking in here. There's probably some 13 and 14. They're just grimacing. You're grimacing right now over that. But that was the culture. And most of those marriages would have been arranged in, in that day. And so what we know uh, of, of Jer- uh, Hosea is that he's, he's a teenage prophet. We have a teenage prophet. And so let's, let's sum up Hosea here. He's a, a young, devoted man, virtuous, who has found favor in the eyes of the Lord. In that day, there would be no one more to be envious of than Hosea. He is the picture, the picture of flourishing and favor, which makes what God is about to ask of him much, much, much harder to understand. In that day, and I would say in our day, we might read this story and think that God is forcing this young man to give up all of his life, all of this potential, all of this goodness, all of his happiness. God is asking him to throw it all away. We joke sometimes in this culture that you married up or you married down. I know a lot of you believe that I married up, right? I know that. But listen, you have to understand that's an insult for my wife because it means that she married down, all right? So please stop insulting my wife. She didn't marry down. That's ridiculous, okay? But in this context, there's no doubt. Hosea, Hosea stands supreme here. This woman, Gomer, will not hold a candle to him. His life will be fuller of hardship and struggle and tragedy because of her. And so this woman is named Gomer that he's about to marry. She has a reputation to her. The Bible says that she is a promiscuous woman. That reputation would have preceded her, meaning she would have been known as that in her community, that she would have been labeled as that in her community, that no one would have not been aware of who she is. It also seems that she's using her promiscuity as a way to make money. She could be categorized as a prostitute. And it seems as though she gets it honest because her mother, Diblam, translates into the Hebrew word fig cake. That's, that's, her, that's a literal translation of that word. It stands for fig cake. And so what that means is that she's a woman of temptation, that her sweetness is alluring to the world around her. And so she gets, Hosea probably gets this honestly from her mother. Now, there is a lot to grieve in this time. There's lots of gr- grieving that can take place in this time as many women were forced into this lifestyle like Gomer, some of which was not by their own choosing, uh, some of which came because their husbands died in war and they were trying to make ends meet. But we can't put that on Gomer. Like we, this is a tragic situation, obviously, because her mother probably taught her things that she never should have. But the reality is, is that Gomer is willful in her sin. And she's willful in it even after she meets Hosea, this wonderful, virtuous man. And so we can't pin those sort of under 
pinnings of grief of this situation on Gomer because she's acting by her own decisions. And so what God is asking of Hosea is to take Gomer as his wife, to enter into a covenant with her. In our scripture, marriage is a covenant that goes all the way back to Genesis 1, where one man and one woman would come together and make a binding agreement together in front of God, a covenant in front of God. Covenants involve formal stature or stat, or uh, formal statements about the nature of your relationship. You might say, "I wedge you as my lawfully wedded husband." Right? They they make a list of promises from both parties to have and to hold from this day forward. A list of witnesses to that agreement. Your best man and maid of honor and the grooms and bridesmen. And then a, a list of curses for unfaithfulness and blessings for faithfulness to that covenant. Let no man separate what God has put together, right? That there is in our scripture meaningful blessings to those who are faithful in marriage. And there are some real issues in our life produced from unfaithfulness. And so the basic premise of a covenant is that there's an agreement where God is involved. That he and his will and his desires, his glory, his character must be considered in our agreement. And because God is all-knowing, because that he's perfect, because he's never-ending, covenants should not easily be broken. And that is the case here with Hosea. He's entering into a covenant with Gomer, for better or worse, that covenant will be, remain unbroken despite the actions of Gomer. And I cannot, cannot understate how scandalous this marriage is. If you're fans of Downton Abbey, uh, you might understand the angst that one might have in bringing scandal onto their family onto their house. Lady Mary almost destroyed her home and her family because of her scandal with Mr. Pamuk, if you remember that. Hosea is living in a collective culture, meaning it's a collectivism. And in collective cultures, the community or the family always take precedence over the individual. Above all else, collectivisms are honor cultures. You are to honor your family. You're to honor your hometown. You're to honor your community above all else, not make it about yourself. And there are still lots of collectivisms that exist today, mostly in Asia and in lots of those areas there are still laws that permit fathers to kill their daughters if they are promiscuous before marriage. To kill them to prevent shame, hardship, and dishonor from coming to the name of the family. And so the reason I talk about this is I don't want us to miss how scandalous this marriage is and what it will cost Hosea. To us today in this individualistic culture, this might feel like back page news. It might not even be news at all. But in this day and age, what Hosea is about to do will cost him most of his reputation, his dignity. It will cost him his honor and his happiness. And to his credit, Hosea doesn't balk at what God is asking of him. After God gives him the instructions to go and marry this woman named Gomer, in verse 3, what does it say that 
that Hosea does. It says three words, so he went. <laughs> so he, okay, so he went. Right? If it's you and I, that's a different conversation, right? It's probably at minimum 30,000 words of disagreement that begins with, now hold on a second, right? Now hold on a second here. What are we talking about? Hosea is virtuous. He's righteous. He's a young man full of devotion to God. We should not understate that. And so what is God doing here? What is God doing? Well, we said this earlier. What he's about to tell, what he's about to speak to the nation of Israel, he's going to do through the life of Hosea first. And in the first verse, the second verse, he says, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom for the land commits great whoredom for, by forsaking the Lord. Hosea's whole marriage will not be one ounce for himself. He's not getting married at all for himself. But God says your marriage will be what? It'll be for the land, for the land. It will serve to all of Israel, both the southern and the northern kingdom, of a reminder of all the ways that they have been unfaithful to him. This marriage is symbolic of how the Israelites have mistreated, have forsaken, and forgotten their very God. The very God that delivered them, that rescued them, that called him them his own people, a people that he had made a covenant with, that they no longer live as if he did. And in this marriage, there are children that are produced. And they serve as prophetic visions of the future of what will happen if God's people don't return to God. The first is a son named Jezreel. And Jezreel has a double meaning to it. The, the word Jezreel translates from Hebrew into the word scatter. And so what Hosea is revealing to his people that soon the nation of Israel, this kingdom of Israel, will be scattered around the world because of the coming Assyrian army. They will be conquered in a short while, but also it's a reference to a valley that we find in our Old Testament where a man named Jehu massacred the family of Ahab. He massacred this family to establish his line of kingship. Jeroboam II is from the house of Jehu. Hosea's son is a confirmation of a promise that God has made to avenge the innocent blood that was shed at Jezreel. And it is not good news for Joash and Jeroboam II. And it is not good news for the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel. The second child is believed not to be fathered by Hosea, uh, but from another man. There's no mention in the listing of the second child like there was in the first child that Hosea was the father. Nor is he mentioned in the text revolving the third child. Hosea's shame is unending. It's unending. Not only is he marrying a woman of great scandal, but he will father. He will be the father. He will carry. He will walk. He will train. He will care for children that aren't even his own, that probably don't even look like him. He would be fully aware of that situation, and everyone in his community would be too. Yet Hosea's virtue remains. The second child has a Hebrew name, Lo Ruhemi, which means no mercy. No mercy. What a great name. This serves to amplify what the first child means for the nation of Israel, that God will scatter his people and he will show no mercy on them. 
He will show no mercy, not in no mercy, meaning that God's going to torment them, but no mercy in that God's just going to let them follow their hearts here. That God's going to give them over to their own desires. He will be unpitied. He will not come to the rescue. He will not bring to them forgiveness. But by his own doing, not through horse, not through war, not through any person, God will save the southern kingdom. He bestows mercy on them. And it isn't, it isn't, because, it isn't because the southern kingdom deserves mercy. It's not because they're more deserving of mercy than the, north, the northern kingdom. Mercy by its nature is merciful. It comes to those who don't deserve it. The southern kingdom might deserve leniency for their actions, but mercy is only shown to the guilty, which speaks to the very heart of God towards us. God is merciful to us, not because we deserve it, but because he himself is merciful. It would never be unfair for God to not show mercy, but because he does, his heart and his character is amplified. And the last child in the first chapter of Hosea is Loami, which stands for not my people. And what is even more revealing is, is Hosea's names his son, not my people, and it is quite the case that this is not his child. Hosea spoke it, but he will also live it. The Israelites have pushed hard away from God so completely that God would have every right to disown them. He would have every right to break his covenant with them. But God never intends to break his covenant with his people. What he does is allow them to follow the desires of their hearts, to give them over to their own flesh. It's not shocking that God is going to let them be scattered to have no mercy. They don't want anything to do with him. He's just... He's being honest. He's not pretending like they are that they want a relationship with him. He will give them over to their desires for themselves, for their, to their kingdoms, not for God. He will let them walk alone in this world in order that someday, someday they would remember him and come back. And in essence, this text here is... is sort of the essence of the prodigal son, the parable that we find in our New Testament, where the father lets his son have his inheritance to go out into the world and experience the bitterness and the brokenness of the world. And that parable ends with the son coming back to the father and the father receiving him with welcoming arms. And we find that to be true of what will happen to the nation of Israel. Because in verse 10, we have this beautiful word. It's three letters, yet. Have you, there's never been a more beautiful yet in Scripture than right here in verse 10. Yet is a hopeful word here. Yet is a powerful word here. Yet is the light that shines in the darkness because it means that God has not given his people away. He has not turned his back on them, nor is he disowning them. He will reclaim his people for himself. Hard times are in front of them. Hard times are in front of them, but God will use it all to bring his people back into himself. And Paul reminds us of this very truth for ourselves. 
The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2 reminds us of the surprising faithfulness of God and the reality of ourselves and our fallenness that we all have lived according to our flesh and according to our own desires. In Ephesians 2, it says, among whom we all, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. The only hope for Israel and the only hope for sinful humanity is God. God surprises us in this, that even though it is most natural for us to choose ourselves, yet for God, but for God, he doesn't treat us as we deserve. He doesn't treat us. He is rich in love and mercy. It means salvation and relationship with God isn't created by humanity itself. It is an act of love and mercy by God himself who surprises us over and over, but for God, yet for God surprises us by his faithfulness and grace. And so overall, what Hosea reveals to us, friends, is God's heart towards his people. Like Hosea, who is virtuous and righteous, he binds himself into a covenant with an unfaithful woman named Gomer, who cheats on him time and time again, and he always takes her back. This marriage exemplifies God's heart to us, to his people, We are Gomer. We are Gomer. We are unfaithful. We have a history of mocking God's name. We have a history of forsaking his love. We have a history of abusing his grace. Yet God has made a covenant with us. And he has called us his own. And despite our unfaithfulness, God stands faithful because he can't be anything less. And so Hosea will serve us well in this, that it will remind us of all the ways that we are unfaithful to God. But it is my prayer, and I want it to be your prayer, that it will also awaken us to the loving kindness and the faithfulness of a God, of a God that never leaves us, that we might rejoice in a God who doesn't treat us as we should, because there is a character and a faithfulness There's a yet, there's a but for God in our story that is only found through a sovereign God. And so what we're asking of you is to read this, to read the book of Hosea. It's not a long book. It's a short prophetic book. To take some time over the next, what we plan to be 12 weeks in this book, and to read it for yourself. We're asking, if you've not done this before, join a group. Sunday groups are great places for us to meet and talk about. We'll be talking about Hosea in our Sunday groups. We aren't in this book for practical examples on how to live. We're here to gain a wonderful knowledge of who God is. And so let us be prayerful that God would stir us towards greater love for him, towards greater joy in our but for God, yet for God, and greater faithfulness to him. Will you pray with me? Lord, we are grateful for hard stories like Hosea that aren't easy to read. This isn't easy to read because it's, it's revealing about ourselves. 
And so, Lord, I'm just one that don't want to accept the truth of who I am. Um, I don't want to accept the truth in the ways that I've not honored you, ways that I have forsaken you. Uh, But, Lord, in being honest with who we are, we also reveal the depths of your grace and love to us. And that, Lord, only increases our worship that you would even there still love me. And so, Lord, will you use this book in a way that just enlightens us to how wonderful you are, how faithful you are, how scandalous your grace is, how devout your passion for your people are. And will you stir us to greater worship in our life and our hearts because of it. And so we ask this through our Savior, through the blood of Christ our Lord. Amen.